1: Good morning, and welcome to Grace Church of Orange. Uh, It's good to be here together. It always is 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 good to come together, uh, both to worship the Lord and to hear His Word. Um, This morning, uh, we remind ourselves, as we do every morning, that we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. You know, our theme for this year is "Under the Sun." And you can find out more on the card in your seat. As well, you'll find our QR code and some other things about classes that are going on. So please pay attention to that seat. Uh, click on it. Open up. You'll notice that we do have Sunday morning classes going on. And so so there'll be some action going on over there. Don't let that distract you. but. Uh, Let that be a reminder that if you didn't make it to a first service class, you can make it to a third service class because there will be one going on uh, right over there as well. Uh, Make sure to do that. If you're new, uh, we would love to meet you. Uh, Myself or one of our elders will be back in the Welcome Center uh, between services. Uh, Make sure to come back and, and let us get to know you a little bit um, it's been a little harder to get to know people during this time, but we've had so many new faces, and it's been so great to have uh, membership classes and other things that, that have allowed us to, to be able to greet and know and and, and commune together. We want to remind people that Men of the Word is starting this Friday at 7 a.m., uh, so make sure that you sign up online. Um, it we, we would love to see the men here. We had about 80 men under the tent this past week. Um want to do want to mention as well, uh, just a, our, a reminder of Psalm 116, 15. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And this past week, uh, Bud Gilbertson passed from this world and, and entered into the presence of Jesus. And though, while we're grieving, we know he is experiencing perfect communion today with Christ. We do want to mention that that his service uh, will be Monday, February 22nd at 1 p.m. at Rose Hill. Um We're thankful that we get the opportunity to be here. We're thankful that we get the opportunity to worship together. Uh, There is children's programs for those who are infant up to second grade. And we are encouraging those who are third grade and up to go to the classes or go to the service with their parents. Uh, We'll have the playgrounds open in between. Um, One more thing to mention is that GBI is coming up on March 7th. It'll be here in the evening under the tent. Uh, That's Grace Bible Institute. If you guys would stand with us, we'll begin by reading Psalm 90 this morning. It says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Lord, we do pray this morning that you would satisfy us with your, uh, that we would see your power and your presence. God, that we would understand your word in such a way that that we would come away, um, Lord, those who are satisfied yet hungry for more, hungry for more of you. God, thank you for this invitation that we get to commune with you. God, thank you. We pray that everything done this morning would be to your glory. God, we pray that not just this morning, but as we go out from here, that we would continue to, to seek your glory in all that we do. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Introducing a new song called Together at the Cross this morning. So listen and join us as we sing. children by election and by blood that joins us see together at the cross every pilgrim every prodigal and every wayward son will find all that's worth finding as they gaze upon the one who took on flesh became the lamb and bridge the gap of God in man joins join to see it again West from east Joins us here together At the cross (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> i
1: If you remain standing for the reading of God's word we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 this morning starting in verse 5 It says there is an evil that I have seen under the sun as it were an error proceeding from the ruler folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. You may be seated. This morning... um, as our missionaries, uh, Rick and Rick and Dana Franklin will be remembering them in prayer as we go before the Lord. They're in Canada working with a ministry that helps develop leaders and disciple them. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we we call you Father and are amazed that this would be our privilege. You are sovereign over the universe. Lord, as we we sang this morning, you are merciful and mighty. You see the depths of the earth. You hung the stars in place, and yet you invite us to your side to commune with you. We who have been your enemies are called sons and daughters of the Most High. God, we confess our weakness, our inability, God, our sin. We often look to that which you made to be a good gift to satisfy us. God, we treat those who you have made in your image as less important than ourselves. God, we hear your truth and yet return to lies. We are weak, Father, and sinful and in need of you. Lord, we confess this as sin. God, thank you that while we were your enemies, you paid the price so that we could dine with you as your children. While we were weak, you used your strength to win for us a salvation that we could not earn while we rejected your word and ways god you sent your son to walk in perfect purity god with humility to make a way for us to know and see your glory father there's in in this world there's hurt and difficulty god we struggle from a lack of understanding and a need for wisdom as we wait for the day when we will enter the place that you have prepared for us god transform us into those who show grace and love to our enemies as you showed to us. God, give us a heart that, that praises your name for the good gifts that you put before us. God, both when they are given and God, even when they're taken away. Give us faith to believe your word and follow your way when we don't understand. God, allow your word to go out and give us boldness to live and speak the truth without hesitation. God, we lift up Rick and Dana Franklin as they seek to develop leaders and have the chance to influence men and women with your word. God, provide for them. Allow them to see fruit in their own lives and in the lives of those they are training. Lord, allow them to to bring glory to your name. As we gather this morning, God, satisfy us with your word. You are good, Father. You are good, God. You are good, Lord, all the time. God, thank you.
0: to us, God, through your word, would your spirit change our hearts, would our minds be open, and would the blind eyes of our hearts see, God, would we see Christ in his glory and his fullness more clearly this morning, we ask this, we pray this, by the blood and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Amen.
2: 9, 1965, was a life-changing day for American Admiral James Stockdale. His Douglas A-4 Skyhawk was shot down, and he survived, and the North Vietnamese captured him, and they soon found out that he was not going to be an easy prisoner. He was the kind of guy that, when he was put in prison, he said, I'm going to make sure that I communicate with my fellow prisoners of war I'm going to boost their morale I'm going to encourage them I'm going to help them in any way I can They put Stockdale in the prison that was the worst prison it was known as the Hanoi Hilton He communicated with those other prisoners of war he he encouraged them he bolstered their spirits he he did whatever he could to help but he saw fellow prisoners Tortured, he saw atrocities, he just, he saw it all, but he lived. He actually wasn't killed, he survived, he came home to America in 1973 after seven and a half years as a prisoner of war, and he was asked, after he was given the the Medal of Honor uh, for his heroism, he was asked. How did you survive? How how did you make it out of that place without giving up? What did you do? He said this. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, he said, I would not trade. And then he was asked, what kind of prisoner didn't come home from the Hanoi Hilton? What kind of prisoner didn't make it? And his answer was startling. His answer was counterintuitive, different than what you would think. When he was asked what kind of people didn't make it out of that prison and didn't come home, his answer was the optimist. The optimist didn't make it home. And here's why. He said, they were the ones that said, I'm going to make it till Christmas. And then we're going to get out. We're going to get out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go. They were the ones that said, okay, we're going to get let out before Easter. And Easter would come and go. They were the ones that said, I, we will get out, let out before Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving would come and go. And he said, they died of a broken heart. Now, a good question to ask yourself is, am I an optimist? You know, do I go through life with rose-colored glasses on and say, Everyone's gonna th- everything's going to work out? And just so you know, I'm wired that way. Now, I can be a pessimist too, but for the most part, I'm probably more of an optimist. But let's say you're an optimist, and you're going through life with those rose-colored glasses on, and you're saying, everything's going to work out just fine. But maybe you're a pessimist. Maybe you're the one that goes through life with dark glasses on and you're like, we're done, we're toast, this is the end, we're going to be destroyed, you know, over every little thing that happens. Or maybe you're the realist. God wants you to be the realist. Christians should be the most realistic people on the planet. If you're wired to be the optimist, that can go bad on you. You can get really disappointed when things don't work out the way that you would hope that they would work out. If you're wired to be the pessimist, that can go bad on you because you're always going downhill. You're always looking at the low road. But God wants you to be a biblical realist and see things with clear lenses and see things through the biblical lens of this is the way things are. And by the way, Solomon doesn't sugarcoat it in Ecclesiastes. Can I get an amen for that? I mean, if you've been with us, you know he does not sugarcoat it. And the wise are biblical realists. You want to be a biblical realist. I mean, we are living in very trying times. Trying times relationally and socially and politically, nationally, internationally. These are hard days. And you need to be realistic about it. You have to navigate life in the hard realities of life with a biblical worldview and be a realist realistically. Here's how Derek Kidner put it. You need to live with elementary realism. The baseline realism. This is how things are. Douglas Wilson put it this way. Use your head, friend. Use your head. Use common sense. See how things are. And react appropriately. So let's open up our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, shall we? We're looking at verses 5 through 11 today. We're going to talk some senselessness and sensibility. Senselessness and sensibility, you need to be realistic. Now, chapters 1 through 9 have eliminated all self-sufficiency, In light of the injustice in the world, the oppression we see, the the evil in the world, the the sin in our own hearts, death due to sin, and we find out very early on in life, we can't figure this out. We're not in control. Only God knows. Only God satisfies. Only God saves. And this is what chapter 1 through 9 says as well as daily life teaches us. No place for self-sufficiency. But chapters 10 through 12 give us these exhortations. Chapter 10, be sensible. Chapter 11, be joyfully bold. Chapter 12, be godly. So We're talking here about being sensible. And we live in a time, we live in a world, we live with hearts that can go into senselessness and sensibility, and we want to be sensible, and we want to be realistic, and we want to be calm. Do we not? last week in verses 1 through 4 we we looked at the exhortation to be calm and i don't know about you but this has been a really tough week for me because i've wrestled all week long with staying calm in the midst of all the circumstances of life and i can't tell you that i've been perfect about it and by the way you can't say oh well you know last week is on being calm so i don't have to be calm anymore This week is about being realistic, so I'll just be realistic this week. Life doesn't work that way. The Bible doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. Last week we saw, be calm. Whether, even if you are hurt, or lonely, or afraid, or angry, you want to be calm in crisis, you need to apply wisdom as you rely on Christ. This is what you need to do, and you need to do it all the time. It's like James 3.13, show by your good behavior your deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Be wise, and as you're being wise, be calm and be realistic. The wise are realistic about life. They're realistic about sin. The wise are realistic. They, They use wisdom to navigate life with common sense the wise are realistic. And this passage really, you know, if you were going to say, so where does this fit in Ecclesiastes? You know, Ecclesiastes is like Solomon's, you know, spiritual journal. You put this under the heading of random things that happen in life and miscellaneous ideas. Okay? Observations on some things that happen in life. And here's what you need to be realistic about. Political power. Role reversals, danger, and preparation. So, a political power, role reversals, danger, and preparation, a little cornucopia of good things in life right here to look at. And first, the first thing we see is you need to be realistic about political power. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun. Here he is observing again. He's seen something, and it's evil. That means it's bad, it's not good. And he says it's an error proceeding from the ruler, an error, some kind of unacceptable behavior, some kind of thing that would be considered inappropriate, intolerable, not the thing that you should be doing if you're a ruler, if you're the one who governs over people. Now, literally, he says, it's an error proceeding from the face of the ruler. That's how the Hebrew reads, from the face of the ruler. So this makes folly, coming from a ruler, a personal matter. Because in the Hebrew, literally, face is the way that you signify personal involvement. And he's saying, I have seen an evil where there's there's error that's personally proceeding from a ruler. he's, He's referring to individuals who make up governments. I know some of you could say, oh, the system is broken. No, the system's not broken. The people that run the systems are broken. Any system can work if everyone does exactly the right thing. But what happens to us? We get so intoxicated with with little human hierarchies. And we even get, you know, fixated on them. Either, you know, setting them up or putting them down. We get fixated on these human hierarchies. We forget that they are fragile. They're like a, a dozen eggs in a carton, a dozen raw eggs in a carton, easily dropped, easily cracked, easily broken. All of the little human hierarchies that we see. The Bible tells us, Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 146, verse 3 says, Do not put your trust in princes. Do not put your trust in human beings who cannot save. Power doesn't equal wisdom. And this is what we see. Verse 6, folly set in many high places. And it's from the beginning of time. You see this happening. Folly, after the fall, every human culture is broken. It's topsy-turvy. It's upside down. Folly is set in many high places while the rich sit in a low place that word set is strong it means it signifies the rulers active choice to put a fool in power and not put the wise person in power too many fools are sitting in palaces too many fools are sitting in places of leadership too many fools gain positions of power while rich men sit in humble places now most of the time The rich and the poor are contrasted in the scriptures. Here, though, the rich and the foolish are contrasted because he's not talking about the rich as if they've got lots of money, therefore they must be wise. What he's saying is this rich, this signifies the person who is patient, who is wise, who is a good leader, who is humble, someone who is hardworking with good character. It's about character here. He does not contrast the rich with the poor. He contrasts rich with with folly this has to do with the character of the person not their wealth. what we are seeing and we see this in all of our lifetimes and you see it again since the fall some gain leadership who shouldn't some gain power who shouldn't only God knows right only God knows I want you to go over to first Samuel chapter 2 and you'll notice if you compare Hannah's song, Hannah's prayer to God. verse Samuel 2, and Hannah is praising God, exalting God. God has done so many great things for her, has given her this child, Samuel. And here's what she says in verses 7 and 8. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap he makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor the pillars of the earth are the lords and on them he has set the world now we all love it when the underdog wins i don't know if you're aware of it but there's a football game today usually this is a national holiday i think they're still playing the game i know they are and here's the thing some of you are going to root for the underdogs some of you are going to root for the ones that are favored we love it when the underdog you know comes up from the ashes and gets put up on a pedestal we love that we, we think feel good story of the year wow they overcame so much adversity but what wisdom literature tells us and this is where you have to contrast this idea that that god's the one that puts them up and 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 sometimes sinful man pushes himself into places that wisdom and and wisdom literature refers to generalities not things that happen exactly the same way every single time. It might not apply in every situation. And you need to keep that in mind. If you want to be realistic, you need to realize that everything doesn't work out exactly the same way every time. You can't always do the math. You can't always connect the dots. There are fool's ruling in every post-fall culture. And we live in an upside-down, topsy-turvy world. And just don't be fooled into thinking that everyone who is proclaimed to be wise is actually wise. You need to be realistic about political power. Power does not equal wisdom. But equally topsy-turvy is is where you see slaves on horseback and princes walking like slaves. What does that mean? Verse 7 says that. He says, I have seen this. I've observed it. Slaves on horses, princes walking on the ground like slaves. What does that mean? Because we live in a city, and by the way, contrary to what other people think, they live in other parts of the country. We have horses in Southern California. So if you're on the live stream and, and you're going, oh, they're just in Lo, you know in the Los Angeles area. There's no like you know livestock or horses. Oh, not true, not true. In fact, in the city of Orange, just like in many of our cities, people have horses. And and here's what I've noticed: all the people riding on the horses they're not all the richest people in the neighborhood they just someone who decided they wanted to have a horse and feed it and board it and comb it and and even walk it some people walk their horses I I don't know about you but I'm thinking to myself I'm walking my dog and you're walking your horse I can't ride my dog you could ride your horse (laughs) but here Solomon says, I've seen slaves on horses, and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now, in that day, that would have been this vivid anomaly. Like, wait a minute, this is out of place. In the ancient world, you only rode a horse if you were a king, or a prince, or a soldier, or a very rich person. Everybody just couldn't get a horse. You'd walk on the ground if you were not a king, or a prince, or a ruler, or wealthy, or a skilled soldier that's the only kind of people that could ride on horses The culture of ancient Israel the common citizen didn't own a horse uh, royalty nobility the military had the horse so a slave riding on a horse would be like a nobody flying in a private jet or Having their own helicopter to go here, there, and everywhere, a- and, a, and a and a prince walking, you know, like a slave. That would be like if if POTUS comes. The president of the United States drove up right now. Now, by the way, I've seen the president of the United States uh, motorcade. We're talking armored car that's like you know ten cars put into one, and all these cars around them and police and what have you. But what if the president of the United States came driving up right now? No motorcade, just an old beat up clunker that was like backfiring and blowing smoke out of the back, and there was like, you know, a, a, a flat tire. And oh, and, and he had to push it into the, into the parking space himself, and then he had to get the jack out himself. And you'd be like, I, I, I don't think that's the president of the United States. Sometimes, sometimes roles get reversed. Sometimes roles are, are like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be doing that. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. If you want to be realistic, you have to be realistic about role reversals. Not just political power, but role reversals. Proverbs 19.10 uh, says, luxury is not fitting for a fool... much less for a slave to rule over princes. Sometimes what is not fitting takes place. Things don't turn out the way you expect. Things don't turn out the way you planned, even if wisdom is present. How many times have you thought, but I did all the right things. I I put in the work. I, I wasn't a slacker. I did what I was supposed to do, and I was wise, and it turned out messed up. Solomon, by the way, is not advocating for instigating counter-revolutions. He is instructing godly citizens to be realistic observers of the way things are. And why does God use these shocking role reversals? Why does it even happen? I think it happens because he wants to shake our pathetic faith in, in 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 the lasting human achievements. No our achievements are not permanent. They're like sandcastles. And one time Angela and I went down to San Diego and we happened upon a beach that was having this huge sandcastle competition. We're talking like the granddaddy of them all, I guess. And they were like, they were building these sandcastles that looked like houses you could live in. But interestingly and appropriately, there was barricades around the sandcastles because if I'm you know, going to catch a football and I accidentally run into the sandcastle, it's gone. No one's going to be under the illusion that sandcastles are actually going to hold anything up. Looks nice for a while, but it will be gone, especially if it rains. But that's what we're doing. We're putting trust in sandcastles. That's not realistic. You need to let biblical realism really shake your pathetic faith in, in human hierarchies because they're fragile and you know that every generation gets taken by surprise by this every generation oh all of our achievements don't last oh everything doesn't always work out perfectly the way we had hoped oh fools are in high places oh sometimes roles are reversed you'd be realistic about political power and role reversals but also Be realistic about danger. Verses 8 and 9 talk about danger. Do you know how many dangers that you were delivered from on the way to church today? Some of you came a long way. There's a family here from Tennessee. Some of you have come a long way. There's a family here from Oregon. Uh, People have come a long way to come to church today. You know how many dangers God delivered you from on the way from two miles away? Our God is a God of deliverances. God is always if if you're doing what you do that means you got saved by a bunch of dangers that you didn't get you didn't fall prey to all the dangers uh, the other day someone and I someone in my family and I were walking into a store and they tripped on a uh, a piece of cement that had gotten raised up because of a tree you know growing underneath or something I'm like hey there's a civil liability Are are you okay there's a lot of dangers in life. Look at verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it. This is a common thing. You're like, oh, that's where that is in the Bible. Yeah. He who digs a pit will fall into it. The pit was the trap for animals in those days. The hunter would dig the pit. This is kind of fun if you think about it. You dig the pit, and then you camouflage. You can't just like go, oh, I'm going to dig this big hole, and the animal's just going to jump into it. You know, the wildebeest is going to jump into it, and I'm going to get myself a wildebeest. No. Uh, what's going to happen is you have to, like, put a net over it and then brush and, and leaves and kind of camouflage it so that the, the animal doesn't know what's going on. The problem is you do one of those, and you forget, or, or you turn, you know, talk to your buddy, and then you walk back, and boom, there you are. You broke your leg by falling into the pit got to take your lumps <laughs> when i was in seminary one of my seminary professors uh used to say that he, he would give us 10 questions every friday and say uh you know you need to know 100 things and if you don't know these 10 take your lumps you know if you get like 8 out of 10 that's like failing it was a modified harvard scale and i'm telling you we did not like that that was a little too realistic for us in fact. Uh, us, the students were, s- were so upset about it they made t-shirts with this guy's face on it that just said take your lumps. This old guy nearing retirement as a professor and he was like, I don't care. Study it all. You got to know it all. And I'm glad he did because that was realistic. That's how life is. Study up and you can't know all the answers all the time. You're not going to pass every test except the consequences. Now what if you dig the pit with malicious intent? What if you dig a pit and say I want my my worst enemy to fall into it i don't want a water buffalo to fall into it i want my worst enemy to fall into it now there you've got even worse consequences biblically speaking and every time i i hear this verse he who digs a pit will fall into it you know who i think of the guy who built the gallows for, to hang someone else on that got hung on his own gallows haman in the book of esther he wanted mordecai to die on those gallows but oh no that's not what happened God's justice prevailed, and Haman was hanged on the gallows that he made. There are consequences to vindictiveness. There's consequences to premeditated evil. There are built-in penalties. In the Bible, it even says, you know, Jeremiah and Amos, it talks about things like this, and it basically says, like, God knows, God sees. So let's just say someone is planning something against you. God sees, God knows, God delivers, God saves, and he might let you get the co- get the. The thing that's coming at you that's getting planned evilly against you. You don't always get saved out of everything. Life doesn't always work out the way you had hoped. Life doesn't always work out perfectly just. But God knows how he is working all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. Sometimes, if you're going to be malicious, your plan might rebound on you. Your plan might ricochet on you. Your plan might boomerang on you. And you might get the outcome that you were planning evilly for someone else. And then the rest of that verse, verse 8, says, a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. In those days, if they were digging through a wall, there might be a serpent in the crack, lying in the crack. A lot of you know I go hiking almost every day in San Diego, San Diego Oaks Park, and every time I'm coming out of that park, there's this one spot, and and my family can tell you, if you ever hiked with me, you, you know. I'll say, watch right here, there might be a snake on the other side of this thing that we're going to... Wa- climb over now i've never seen a snake there i've seen snakes other places but i look every single time because i think that's the kind of place a snake would be if you dig through the wall you break through the wall you might get bit by a snake it might happen you might be minding your business doing the right thing you might get bit by a snake now the pit that traps its maker that's a proverbial picture of poetic justice or this unnoticed serpent that was an uh, image in the Bible of lurking retribution, okay? Amos saw it that way. Uh, also, Acts 28, when Paul got bitten by the viper, the people saw it and they said, this guy will not live. He must have done something really bad because he got bit by this snake. His hand swole up. Here, look. There are hazards with everything in life, not just if you're being a fool, even when you're being wise. It goes along... If you're going to do something successfully, if you're going to do something well, if you're going to do something in a really good way, if you're going to accomplish common tasks in a good way, you're going to need to be careful and know that there are dangers and that there are hazards. One small oversight, one momentary lapse of concentration. Think about it. Paper cuts. They're real. they hurt. A lot of other things. Small amount of folly can undo a lot of wisdom, and a little thing can ruin something big. You have to be careful. If you work with electricity and you're gonna be uh you know changing out a ceiling fan, you're supposed to turn off the electricity. Most people usually do that. But there are inherent dangers. Verse 9 He who quarries stones is hurt by them. Now I don't know of anyone who works in the quarry, but if you were in the quarry in those days, Israel had an abundance of stones, by the way. People would dig up the stones to make their houses and a stone could roll downhill and crush you or it could, you know, drop on your toe and and hurt your toe. Maybe maybe you've split logs before. I have. You can, uh, a splinter can, you know, jump up and hit you in the eye. That's why you need to uh, wear your safety goggles all the time. The idea is that anything can be dangerous. If you're part of a young family or you have grandkids, you know You childproof the house, right? You childproof the house. You put the little plug thing, cover things on there. We didn't do that that much when our kids were younger. Our kids were really smart, so they never needed that. Um, No, seriously, we did it every once in a while. Some of you were like, you know, hyper about every little thing. We were more like measured and and what have you. Then we became foster parents uh, when our kids were growing older, and and now we were required by law to put all those things up, and oh, we did, and we do, we have it. And and there's all these things that we are putting up so that certain dangers don't hurt people. But you can't think, oh, I'm growing up, I'm getting older, those dangers don't exist anymore. No. Actually, the the, the bigger you are and the older you get, the harder you fall. So you trip over that little, you know, crack in the cement, you're going to get hurt worse as an adult than as a kid. There are inherent dangers. Anything can be dangerous. There's dangerous pitfalls that that are constantly around us and this is not for us to cower in fear but this is just to know and be wise and be realistic this is how life is be realistic about political power and about role reversals and about danger and then preparation preparation verses 10 and 11 verse 10 if the iron is blunt I mean this is baseline wisdom for daily living okay if the iron is blunt And one does not sharpen the edge. He must use more strength. Duh. So you're going to chop a tree down and your axe isn't sharpened? Wet the axe, sharpen the edge. I mean, are you really going to take a baseball bat and try to chop down a tree? So, but then it says wisdom helps one succeed. Oh, I know what I should do. Sharpen my axe before I chop the tree down. That would be wise. Now be careful with the axe as you're swinging the axe. I was using a machete once when I was in Indonesia, and I wasn't being careful. Like somehow the machete like nicked me on the eye, or you know, like above my eye. You got to be careful. And then you got to prepare, right? Prepare your tools. Thoughtfulness will bring you success. Use common sense. Behave wisely. Use proper precautions in your daily activities. And then you come to verse 11. I I told the staff this week, I said, I'm going to come to verse 11 this week, and I'm going to say, I don't know what it means. (laughs) This is a tough one. Here it is. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. All right? (laughs) Any snake charmers in the house? Don't do this at home, okay? You're, You're in America. There's no job called snake charmer in America. Now, if you lived in the East, we'd be having another conversation, okay? Because that's still a job occupation. That's an occupation in the Eastern world still. But this is about if you're in a hurry and you're handling the snake, before you charm it, probably going to bite you, and you might die. The skill of the charmer overridden by a bit of neglect. A simple application of some wise principles here it can help steer you wisely through life, help you avoid the pitfalls that the fools always run into. But here's the deal. Wisdom is applicable to the big picture things in life. Wisdom is applicable to the small things in life. But you cannot say, well, I'm just going to be wise and everything will work out the way I want. This is not the way life is. But the wise are still realistic because wisdom can get you much farther than foolishness. You should be wise about this cornucopia of good things. Political power, role reversals, danger, preparation. Remember, Ecclesiastes is Solomon's spiritual journal that he's laying out for us. And I think what it does, is it helps you focus less on fading human glory and more on Jesus, the wisdom and power of God. Less on all the, the little details of life and more on what is important and eternal, by being a biblical realist. It can help you be a more faithful follower of Christ, more fruitful follower of Christ. I want this to help you. I want you to be able to take this and say, well, how can I do this? How can I be realistic? As I'm trying to stay calm, and let me just give you three quick ideas that will help you, three realistic responses that will help you navigate life with wisdom. First of all, you need to read the situation accurately. That's, that's the observing. Okay, You need to observe. Just like Solomon, like, I saw this. And you need to listen to others because your vision isn't always as clear as it could be. God wants Christians to be the most realistic people on the planet under no illusions. Life is fragile. God is in control. Anything can happen. And many things happen in life that mercifully shake our faith in the shaky human sandcastles that we build. If you're the pessimist, you're always living with those dark shades on, this can make you downcast and depressed and say, well, God doesn't care. If you're the optimist, living with those rose-colored glasses, that can make you this disappointed dreamer when things don't work out the right way and you say, God didn't come through. But if if you're the realist, You're living with a clear biblical lens. You will clearly see the truth, and the truth will set you free. You have to be realistic about life, even these uh, random occurrences. And don't be so quick to say, I know exactly what that means. I know exactly what that outcome is all about. Maybe just rest under the unexplained sometimes, and don't feel like you have to explain everything. Just read the situation accurately. Secondly, react with grace react with grace, Solomon in Ecclesiastes is telling us, and he'll cap it off in chapter 12 this way, the very end of the book, he'll say, fear God. Basically, worship God, reverence him, trust him. What difference would that make? Let me tell you right now. It will make the biggest difference in your life. Because if you are that pessimist who says, God doesn't care, And you are that optimist that says God didn't come through. You are going to be tempted to blame God. And you must never blame God. Job did not blame God. Everything in his life fell apart. Everything crumbled. He didn't blame God. What did he do? He tore his robe in grief. He shaved his head in grief. That was the, the way to show the grief in those days. And he fell to the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb Naked, I will return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it tells us that in all of this, he did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. He did not blame God. Some of you will say, okay, I'll just blame someone else. Some of you will say, I'll just blame myself. Just stop all of that. It's not good for you, it's not wise. Don't put immediate hope in yourself or someone else put your hope in christ react with grace trust him and lastly redeem the time make the most of the opportunity the days are evil use wisdom i think i I really do think realism biblical realism is a refreshing bridge to the gospel i really do instead of pagan lies believe gospel truth george whitfield said it this way we can preach the gospel of christ no further than we have experienced the power of it in our own hearts have you experienced the power of the gospel in your heart? Christ, our substitute, who took our pain and punishment and the wrath that our sins deserved? Have you placed your faith and your trust in him? You know, there was an article written about a year ago, and it was entitled this, COVID-19, hopeful realism and the hope that is in us. And Bill Gorman wrote the article, and he said this, Christians have a unique opportunity during the COVID-19 pandemic, we can give the gift of hopeful realism that prompts people to ask about the hope that is in us. He quotes Jim Collins, who wrote that leadership book, Good to Great, and he said, we must face the brutal facts, but simply facing the brutal facts is not enough. It must be coupled with unwavering faith that you can and will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the same time, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. We must face, this is what Gorman says, we must face the brutal facts while never losing hope that we will prevail in the end, not because of the strength of the human spirit. If anything, this pandemic has shown how weak and vulnerable we are, not because we trust in health departments and hand sanitizer, but because we hope in a risen, and ruling Savior who has faced the worst worst that death and hell have to offer, and he has defeated them. So if you're wise, you'll be realistic about the uncertainty of outcomes, and you will trust Christ as you navigate wisely through this life. He is the sure and steady anchor for your soul. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can, by your grace and for your glory, be biblical realists and know that idealism disappoints us and pessimism depresses us and realism sees the world as you say it is. Give us grace, Lord, to read the situation accurately and react with grace and redeem the time. Because we know the days are evil. We don't want to be foolish, but we understand what your will is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Would you stand, if you're able, and join us as we close?
2: 6, it says this in verse 10, God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do, and sometimes you forget to thank someone, or sometimes someone moves away, and you're like, the next time I see you, I'm going to say something in front of everyone, and it just so happens to be Jim and Paula Hughes, right back there, who came in from Oregon just to come here today, and for Jim's dad's 102nd birthday this this weekend praise God for for life and um Jim and Paula we love you so much they led they did a lot of ministry at Grace but they led our Awana ministry for very many years a long time uh, helped that to be a very strong and fruitful ministry that still continues on today we love you we, we thank God for you uh we thank God for your lives and um I'm gonna consider this like you're going away. Thank you. Since I remember, I kept how long have I been telling you this? Right, I've been telling you this. So I'm gonna do this to you someday. So we love you guys. Make sure you say hello to the Hugheses, and I need to say hi to one other friend of mine. So Mark and Rebecca Smith, right, and their kids Addison and August, right over here. Uh, they were at Grace for a while with us, and they moved to Tennessee this summer. The reason I'm bringing it up, first of all, Mark's a good friend. Secondly, they they landed one city over from my in-laws in uh, the Knoxville area there in Loudoun, Tennessee, and they've been attending my in-laws' church. I, I connected them up with the pastor there, so shout out to First Baptist Church of Lenore City, Tennessee, and the Smiths. We're glad you're here this weekend, and so good to see you guys in person. And um, let me close right now, uh, and, and then I'll pray with uh, Second Peter chapter 3 uh, tells us that we are waiting. We are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth, in which, in which righteousness dwells. And it says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And then grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen.